skipped ahead in a story you were reading and read the last chapter. <laughs> All right. I know. I know. I'm out there too. And uh, I, you know, we like to know how the story ends, right? And sometimes we're sometimes we're kind of bored by what's going on in the rest of the book, and we want to just skip ahead and find out how all this comes unwound, right? Well, we are blessed as the people of God. We have in our hands the last chapter of human history, and we uh, get to freely read it whenever we want to. And on top of that, we are going to look at it today. We're going to look at the last chapter and see everything that it has to say to us at the end of the book of Revelation after many months of study. Uh, we've studied, as if you remember, back this far at the beginning of the year last year, uh, we studied the letters to the seven churches. And we've seen uh, both their present day encouragement and the eternal blessings and the stern warnings that those letters contain for the seven kinds of churches that they speak to and describe. Uh, we've walked through also, beginning this fall, we walked through all of God's plan for the end of human history, including the seven seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments that God fills up the seven years of the tribulation period with following the rapture of the church. Uh, and these judgments bring about the final collapse of Satan's counterfeit kingdom and the end of his counterfeit Messiah and the counterfeit religion sponsored by his counterfeit false prophet. And we've also looked at and beheld the glory of Jesus' uh, eternal, I mean, not his eternal reign yet, uh, his thousand-year reign from Jerusalem on the earth, the final defeat of Satan at, and the great white throne judgment that follows that. And then we got to the eternal state. And we looked at the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven as part of the new heaven and the new earth. And we've seen that. And, uh, and we've seen how we will dwell with Jesus and with one another in a place where there is no more mourning or darkness or crying or pain or death or sin or sea anymore. That God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes and the former things will all pass away and be consumed in the glory of God and his, of his appearing and the establishment of his reign forever. And there will be no night there. And the Lamb will give its light and we will walk on streets of gold in a city whose walls are made of diamonds and whose foundations are encrusted with jewels, whose gates are made of massive single pearls. Where all of the treasures of this world are building materials and reflect the glory of the eternal king. We've seen all of that, and today we're going to finish up by looking at what Jesus tells us is the point of all of these things and what he has revealed about living out your life now in response to them. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to read with me the last section, of the last chapter of your entire Bible. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 6. We're going to look 
all the way through down to verse 21, the end of the book. And if you would, please join me as we read God's Word, if you'd stand, as I do, and we read His Word together. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I saw and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me, but he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not steal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so they may have the right to eat have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears Say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. This is a great section. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we hear in this chapter the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, preaching to us. And Father, I pray that, that as I preach these same words to your people, I pray that they would hear not my voice, but his. Speaking to us, your people, about how to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And Father, I pray that you might fill this place and your people with your grace, that they might do so. In Jesus' name, amen. This is, I don't know, I say this about a lot of scriptures, but this is one of my favorite sections of scripture because we get to see it all come to an end. And we get to see the reward of God's people and of entering into the fellowship of the Son of God forever and ever. And we are looking for His coming. If you look at the beginning of verse 6, what you'll see is someone speaking. Uh, all the text says is, and He said to me. Now, if you're a careful Bible student, you want to be careful that 
you identify the antecedents of any pronouns that you see, meaning you need to figure out who he is. Is he the angel who has been showing John this vision of the new heavens and the new earth? I think that's possible. I think, in fact, that's how the ESV text arrangement uh, that I have in my Bible with its paragraphs uh, seems to imply that it's the angel that is the one speaking. But I think based on the fact that it's clearly Jesus who is speaking in verse 7, and the last person who is referred to in verse 5 is the Lord God, that it is Jesus who is also speaking in verse 6. And what he has to say to us is very important. The first thing he says is, and you see it there, these words are trustworthy and true. Now you're reading your Bible. Why would you need to hear that? First of all, remember this. This is the second time in two chapters that Jesus has said that to us. He says it the first time in chapter 21. If you want to flip over a page in your Bible, uh, you can... Um, you can see that in chapter 21, verse 5, he tells John, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then after this description of the magnificence of the holy city, the New Jerusalem, Jesus says again, these words are trustworthy and true. Why is that? That we are told twice in two chapters, right after Jesus highlights the magnificence of these promises, these words are trustworthy and true. It's because he knows that we are prone to doubt what he has told us. Because, you know, if someone, you know, they used to tell journalists, if, you're, if your mother tells you that he loves you, check it out. And we, as we live in a, in a world which is racked and tainted and marred and defiled by sin and by our own sinfulness, let's remember, are prone to doubt anything which sounds too good to be true. And what could sound more too good to be true than that the idea that you and I, as followers of Jesus, among the world's hated, persecuted, and despised people, will one day walk on streets of gold in a city whose walls are made of a diamond and whose gates are single pearls. That we will dwell face to face in the presence of the living God who will light the city where we live with Him and with all who follow and love Him. What do you got that's better and sounds more too good to be true than that? That you will dwell in a place where, where there's no night, no sin, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no sea, no storm anymore. And so twice he tells us in two chapters, these words are trustworthy and true. Because we need to remember that these things are true. And the second thing Jesus tells us in verse 6 is equally important. He gives John the purpose of this book. Do you see it? Look at the text. It says, And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. In other words, John, remember this, the same God which spoke through the Old Testament prophets and often sent His angel to reveal His word to them in the Old Testament is the same God that is speaking through His angel to you now. 
so that all believers, including John and all of us, might understand these things in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Now let me clarify that word soon. It's interesting. The word soon shows up four times in these verses. Roughly 16 verses. Four times, once every four verses, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Another time he says he is, his coming is near. Seven times he refers, repeats the word come or coming. What do you think the point of this section of Scripture is? That he's coming soon. What does soon mean? You might, you might look at me and go, well, well look preacher, it's been 2,000 years since this announcement. What do you mean by soon? And I think what, what is meant, what we're meant to understand what Jesus is trying to emphasize to us is that there is nothing standing between his appearance and where we live right now. I mentioned that the other day we had some friends that dropped by and we had a wonderful time with them. Uh, but we knew they were coming. They sent us a text and let us know they were on their way. And so when somebody's on their way, you start looking out the window. Is that them? Are they here? And then when they're at the door, you don't wait for them to ring the doorbell. No. You're looking through the glass to see if they're there and so that you can swing the door open and say, Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And when Jesus says He's coming soon, it's as if He has sent us a text. I'm on the way. I'm right at the door. He can come whenever He chooses. There is nothing prophetically that yet needs to be fulfilled for Jesus' return to happen. You feel me on this? That we're not waiting for, well, when this happens, then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, well, then Jesus' return will be here. No. Jesus can come according to the Scriptures at any time He chooses. And all that He is waiting on according to Second Peter is the salvation of people. And when the last person who will be saved prior to the rapture of the church is, Jesus will be back. He'll be back. He is right at the door. His coming is soon. How do we know? Because as he said earlier in the verse, his word is trustworthy and true. And he tells us he is right at the door. Just about to come in. And that invites in us, or ought to invite in us, as Jesus does, Several times in, this, in these verses to follow, he gives us an invitation to respond and to do things in light of the fact that his coming is soon. And the first response that he tells us is in verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. You see that? Second time. Two verses. He's told you, I'm coming soon. And so then he says, blessed are those who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. 
He announces a blessing. If you live in light of what He's told you in this book, here's a, there's going to be a blessing that will fall on you. What does it mean to keep the words of the book? Well, it's this is in contrast to the section at the end where He says, don't add to it, don't take away from it. There's a warning at the end. There's a blessing at the beginning. Uh, in other words, hear what I say and obey what I told you. Obey His Word. To keep the words of the book is the sense of guarding them because they're a treasure and, and obeying them. Since Jesus has told us repeatedly that He is coming, then take His Word here in Revelation seriously and respond with obedience to the warnings and commands that are here in this book. Flee from the judgments that is to come. Flee from sin and toward Jesus. Embrace your faith in Christ and hold fast to Him. Despite whatever persecutions, whatever trials, whatever hatred your society may have for you, whatever, whatever uh, you know, curses you may receive from people, hold fast to Jesus and receive all of the rewards that the book promises. That's what it means to guard, to keep the words of this book. And after seeing these amazing revelations, John does something that's kind of weird. He falls down at the feet of the angel who revealed these things to him. And, you know, you might think that's a little bit silly. John, didn't you know better than to fall down at the feet of an angel is just an angel. Now, of course, we, we can say that from the comfort of having never seen one face to face. Right? And remember, whenever angels show up in the Scripture, the first thing they say to the person who sees them is, don't be afraid. Right? And I, I think that's because their natural response is to be very afraid. Right? But he falls at the feet of the angel who's been revealing the truth to him because he's overwhelmed by the magnificence of the revelation that he has received. And the angel is very quick to say, wait, hold on, stop what you're doing right there. Stand on your feet. Don't worship me. I'm just a servant like you were a servant. I serve the living God. And there's one person that we worship. And if we're going to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming, in light of the revelations we've received, we need to remember to worship God and Him alone. And again, we might be tempted to get real judgy with John, like, how dare you fall at the feet of an angel? But men and women, people do the same thing all the time. We do the same thing all the time. We're tempted to take people and things that God has given us as blessings that are created by Him to reveal His glory and to bow down before them instead of God. And so people idolize politicians and sometimes preachers. They make idols of spouses and children and possessions and power and the positions that they have. And so let's not be too quick to judge. 
But instead, let's heed the angel's warning that in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back, only Jesus is worthy of our worship. And let's not make idols of other things, but live for one being whom we worship and one person to whom we will give glory. To God and to Him alone. We're also invited by Jesus to believe the gospel. I love verses 10 to 19 because if you've ever wanted to hear Jesus preach the gospel, you get to, you get to read it right here in these verses. It's magnificent. Verses 10 through 19, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of this book, for the time is near. Third time he's told you. It's coming soon. It's near. And then he says something that's very strange. He says, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do what is right and holy still be holy. When he says these things are near, he's reminding us that this is not a dream or a fable or an allegory or just a story in your Bible that these things are really going to happen. And happen soon. How soon is soon? Whenever Jesus decides. They are the truth. And in light of that, we are not to seal them up. Now, men and women, I know how difficult it is to share what the Scripture reveals about these things with other people. But this book probably more clearly than any other book in Scripture, speaks very specifically, boldly, and clearly of two destinies, heaven and hell. And those who go to one place or the other are those who either believe in Jesus Christ or those who reject Him. So when it says, don't seal up the words of this book, what he's saying is, make them known. Or to, to quote Jesus from another place, the things you've heard me whisper in the inner rooms shout from the housetops because the time is near. We don't have all day to make sure that people know what this book contains and tells us. The time is near. Amen? And, and so don't seal this up. Instead, hear it and proclaim it. And, and because... The time is coming, verse 11, when these things, whenever you have lived your life for, you will be sealed in it. I think that's what verse 11 is telling us when he says, let the, let the evildoer still do evil. It's not that that's what Jesus is wishing for. He's saying that at a certain point, as you continue to live your life, you get sealed into your actions and your life and Jesus is coming soon verse 12 and when he does it will be to assign either reward or punishment based on the kind of life that you have lived and what it reveals about your relationship to him it will be too late to change your mind and his coming is soon verse 13 tells us that Jesus is the one who brings these things about. 
that he is the one. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha, in case you're curious, is the first letter in the, in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. So we might say that he is the A and the Z of all creation, meaning that he is the one who brought creation into existence. Amen? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be, and there was. And God said, let there be, and there was, etc., 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 all through Genesis. Amen? And, and God brought this stuff into existence. He's the beginning of all things. He's the Jesus is the chief heir of all creation. He is the creator of all things visible and invisible. And he reigns over all things because he is their beginning. And he is also the omega. He's the Z. He's the end. All things have their end in him, either glorifying him in worship and adoration or glorifying him with their judgment for their wickedness and rejection of him. He is the beginning and the end, and He brings all things to their conclusion. He brought them into existence. He will bring them to their conclusion. And since that's true, we do well to pay careful attention to the two destinies that are, He outlines for us. He paints the picture as starkly as it is, can be painted in verses 14 and 15. Blessing on the one hand and being shut outside on the other. He says, first of all, verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Now we sang... Remember that gospel song is wonderful. I love singing it. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's a question. And it, and, it, and it carries with it a theme that is present in the Scriptures. In Isaiah, uh, God speaks to the prophet and He says, Are your sins like scarlet? I can make them white like wool. I can wash you in the blood of the Lamb, and make you clean. And it's a reference back to the, the Old Testament system of worship. Remember, all through this book, all through the book of Revelation, we're promised that those who follow the Lamb will be given white robes to wear. Have you wondered why? It's because the white robe was the garment of the priest for those who were dedicated to his service in the Old Testament. Do you remember that? And when they were dedicated, initially the sons of Aaron put on these white robes and then they were sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. And then they were consecrated to God's service and could go in and out from his presence. So when the scripture talks about how you and I will be wearing white robes, it is because we will be ministering and serving, entering into God's presence because we have been washed with the blood of the Lamb. You hear me? We're going to, we're going to serve the Lord face to face. We're going to be dressed 
in purity because Jesus' death on our behalf makes us righteous before him and we are able to enter into his very presence. We will be his servants. We will give him glory. And we'll be washed. Our robes will be washed. Any traces of sin will be washed away, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And we will have the right to... to <coughs> Excuse me. We will have the right to the tree of life. We will be able, in other words, to dwell eternally. That differently than Adam and Eve who were cut off from the tree of life by a flaming sword in the cherubim, we will have access to eternal life with God. And we will be those who enter the city by the gates because it will be our home. It will be our home. On the other hand, it says outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, when you read that list of, of sins and sinners, it ought to remind you of something you read previous chapter where there's a similar list of people who will be excluded from the city. And you might be confused by that term dogs because you're thinking Fifi, Fido, Rover, you know, Bell at our house. Is it true that there are no dogs in heaven? In terms of that kind of dogs, I'm not sure. Maybe there are. Maybe, maybe one of the blessings of the kingdom is that the pets that we had when, and loved when we were here are, are raised up with us in glory. I don't know. If not, there'll be something better that replaces them. I, I'm, of that, I am confident. But when it's talking about dogs being excluded, it's not talking about that. It's talking about people who are shut off from the city. And, you know, when you're thinking about dogs, like I say, you're thinking Rover and Fifi and Fido. But when a Jewish person like John is talking about dogs, he's talking about a different thing entirely. If you go in most of the world, not, not, not Europe, not Canada, Japan, um, the U.S., but if you go in a lot of the rest of the world, you will see wherever you go packs of wild dogs that run loose everywhere. And they all kind of look the same. They're all about yay high. They get pointy ears and curly tails. And they live on garbage and filth. And they're, they're wild. They're disease ridden. A lot of times mangy. Uh, you don't want to get near and pet one. First of all, they'll probably bite you if you try it. But in addition to that, you will get sick from just being around one of these things. That's what he's talking about. That people who have loved to consume filth and whose lives are therefore characterized by sin 
are referred to here as dogs. And he's saying that they are outside the city. All those who love sin are cut off from God. I want to flip over to a passage with you. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 8 and 9. It says that Jesus will return, verse 8, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. And here's the relevant word. Away from the presence of the Lord and from His glory. That's what it's talking about when it says outside are the dogs. That part of the punishment of the lake of fire is not simply the fact that it is a place of burning torment, but the fact that you are cut off from God who made everything good, who, all thing, who is the source and the author of all things that you enjoy about this life as marred and messed up as it often is, everything good that you enjoy comes from Him. And so to be cut off from God's presence is a terrible judgment. But it is one that is just because those who have rejected God and want nothing to do with Him in this life get to have that for all eternity. You want nothing to do with God he has a place for you where you will get nothing to do with him. Outside his glory and the majesty of his power. Verse 16. Jesus announces his identity again and he reminds us that these words are for our benefit and our blessing. He says, those who belong to the churches need to hear and understand this book. By the way, do you belong to the churches? Yes. And so here and understand this book, Jesus identifies himself. And I love this title. It says he is the root and the descendant of David. You have that, that glorious description of Jesus' incarnation in that little description. He's the root of David. How is that? He is, as God, the person who brought David into existence. And he, as the incarnation of the Son, also descends through Mary from David. So he is the God-man, the root and the descendant of David. He is the bright morning star. He is the one by whom all men receive the light of life. In other words, pay attention to what I'm telling you here because I am the God-man. The one who came from David, who is the Messiah. The one at whom heaven and hell divide. You will either walk in His light or you will be shut off from Him. And in response to this gospel message, you see verse 17, both the Holy Spirit and those who belong to Jesus, the bride, say to Jesus, come. Come. 
because having heard about the coming of Jesus and what it will mean, the Spirit of God says, yes, come, Jesus, come. And we who are indwelt by the Spirit, when we hear about the coming of Jesus and what it means for us, also say with the Spirit of God within us, come. In fact, you know, when I was a young man, Honestly, I'm embarrassed a little bit to admit this, but I, I really wanted to get married before Jesus came back. And, you know, I'm like, Lord, you know, I want to live a little bit of life here first. I want to, you know, I want to get married. I want to enjoy my wife. I want to have babies. I want to get old and wrinkly and retired. I want to live a little life and then and then Jesus can come then. Some of y'all, I know, you're, you're laughing right now because you used to think the same thing. But the older I get, you know what I think? Come. Come now. Come now. And then Jesus turns it around. He says, let the one who is thirsty in other words, come to me that I might come to you and for you. But the one who is thirsty, come. Those, you know, if you live life long enough on your own apart from Jesus, you're going to get powerfully thirsty for something that nothing in this life will satisfy. And Jesus is inviting you to come to Him and drink of the water And you can drink from the water of life without price. Because Jesus has already paid the price for your redemption. And so it's by grace that you come and receive life. Verses 18 and 19 are a warning. It's a final warning to those who might be tempted to ignore or to reject any part of the message of Revelation. You see, there are two ways you can depart from the Word of God. One is to add on to it. And people try to do that. You know, you must read the Bible. Oh, and the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. And the writings of Joseph Smith. And the writings of uh, uh, L. Ron Hubbard. And the... Right? And they depart from the Word of God. You can always tell when somebody's got themselves a cult going when they want to add on to the Bible beyond what it says. Sometimes people want to add to the book of Revelation specifically. Well, let me tell you what it really means. Because then, I, then you'll have my insights and that'll really tell you. Right? Jesus says, don't add to what I told you. Because if you do, I will add to you the plagues of this book. He also says, don't depart from my word to the left and take away from what I've said. And people like to do that. People don't like part of what the Scripture has to say. And they don't like what this book specifically has to say about some things. And so they try to take away from what God said. 
That part about hell, that's not really, Jesus doesn't really mean that. That part about judgment, yeah, 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 that's not really true. If you depart from the Word of God by taking away from what God, what God has said, this warning here is that God will take away from you your share in the tree of life. It's a serious warning. And the encouragement here is to listen to what God's Word says and repent of sin and believe in Jesus. Because heaven and hell Glory and judgment, life and death hang in the balance of your response to what Jesus has revealed about Himself in this book. So don't depart from the Word. Believe in what Jesus says and trust Him that you might overcome the world and the flesh and your devil and receive all of the blessings that Jesus has promised to give all those who wash their robes in His blood and are thereby cleansed by faith in Jesus Christ. Because as verses 20 and 21 say, we don't have that long. His return is soon. And you need to make your choice and choose wisely before His soon return. Jesus is surely coming back soon. When is soon? Soon. Every day that passes is one day sooner, and Jesus is standing at the door. Nothing yet needs to be fulfilled before Jesus can return. And that is again why we have seen the word soon repeated and near and coming so many times in this chapter. The right response to these things is to believe in what Jesus has said that there is reward for those who believe in Christ and punishment for those who reject Him. And in light of the fact that He is coming soon to make your decision for Jesus and then to follow Him as if He is coming soon because He is. And He will be here sooner than you think. And to live your life in eagerness for His coming. So that you might say with John, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Because we're excited for the Lord's return and to receive a reward from Him. But in order for that to happen, we will need God's grace. We will need God's grace to live in light of the truth of this book. And so this book concludes appropriately with a prayer from John for the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with Everyone who reads what is written. And so I want to do the same thing. I want to conclude our time in the book of Revelation with a prayer for God's grace to be with us all that we might live in light of what the Scripture has told us here. So if you'd pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, You make it very, very clear, abundantly clear, unmissably clear, in this entire 22 chapters of Revelation, that heaven and hell, life and death, glory and judgment part at Jesus Christ. That He is the King of glory. And that He is coming. <coughs> and that at His return, 
there will be reward, honor, and glory for all those who by faith in Jesus Christ have washed their robes and are qualified, therefore, to enter into His presence and dwell with Him in the, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the home of righteousness. But that shut out from Your presence and Your glory will be all those who love and practice sin. Father, I pray that by Your grace You might draw every single person who hears this message from Jesus' lips to make the right choice to by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone receive the gift of salvation that you would cleanse them and wash them and make them yours. Father, we don't want anyone to miss the grace of God. And so by your grace, Father, we pray that you would save multitudes who have heard the, the message of this book, that they might believe it and embrace it for themselves. Father, we ask these things by your grace, through your Holy Spirit. Amen.